0: So we are in week two right now of a series called We Are the Body, where we're looking at how Jesus calls us as one part, uh, uh, or sorry, as one body made up of many parts, and he calls us together to be part of that. And, and so last week we looked at loving one another, is that, that is essential to that, and this week we're looking at serving one another. And each week we have someone kind of read a passage and, and give a short testimony. And this week, someone special is going to be doing the, the testimony and, and the reading. And it's someone who has had a massive impact upon my life, one of the greatest servants I have ever known. Uh, and someone whose life has just been devoted to serving their family in the most beautiful of ways. And someone who, in this season of life, has had the tables flipped on them. Someone who is used to only giving and only used to serving others has been on the receiving end of that as they mentored into this church in a new season. For that, I want to welcome my own mother uh, to be able to come up and and read our passage and be able to give a short story as well. as her own experience here at Northview. So please welcome her.
1: Thank you, James. So I'm supposed to read the passage first, right? 1 Peter 4 7 to 11 the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Hi. I am the one who gave birth to that man. (laughs) First, I want to thank all of you, everyone that's here and isn't here for the love and acceptance you have given to my son and his family. It warms a mother's heart to know that he's supported by such a great group of people and that he now considers his extended family. And as most of you know, James' dad, my husband, was diagnosed with, okay, I'm going to get through this without crying. (laughs) <laughs> was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer two and a half years ago. When I, being in the medical field, when I heard that diagnosis, in my head, I had about six months left with him. God, in his sovereign grace, has chosen to allow him to be with us so far for another two and a half years. And according to the oncologist that we saw a couple of weeks ago, He said that he does does still have cancer, but it's slow-growing, and he doesn't just have months, but he does have years. So he is a very sick man, and it's kind of hard for him to think that he's going to be living like this for the next few years sick, and my prayer is that he just continues to just get better and better. We started coming to this church about a year ago. And uh, in order to get to know people, because I tend to be a little bit on the extroverted side, um, I joined a women's group because it was in the middle of COVID also, and it was hard to get to know people through, that, through masks. So I joined an incredible women's group that meets, Bible study, that meets in the second service. I immediately felt accepted by this incredible group of women, led by Lisa Porter, An amazing woman of God. All of the women, I shouldn't just exclude. All of the women in that group are incredible women that have reached out to me, especially. They embraced me and allowed me to share the highs and lows of the journey that I was going through. One of their continual questions was, how can we help? And I would continually say, it's okay. I'm good. Everything's fine. The end of June, this past June, Jim was taken by ambulance to Providence, where he spent a week, and then taken by ambulance to Virginia Mason for two weeks, and then on to Bethany of Silver Lake for four weeks. He was really ill, and a couple of times, James and I actually thought that he was going to die. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But during this time, which was a really hard time, the love and support of the women in this this church was extremely evident. Meals were prepared for me. And a few times, some of the women, even though I told them they could just come over for a glass of wine and sit on my deck, they brought over meals, ate with me, and just enjoyed the time, it was it was a refreshing time for me because I was spending most of my time at the hospital or at the uh, nursing center. Another time, word got out that I needed some weeding, that I would like some weeding done. They kept saying, what can we do? What can we do? It's like, okay, if you, want, if you really want to do something, I got weeding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a couple of women from a church that we used to go to came over and did some of it. But a woman from this church that I hadn't even met, she reached out and said, I want to help. And someone had already done the weeding. And I said, well, I've got some plants that I bought that haven't been planted on my deck. And she jumped at the chance. And she came over, again, someone I didn't even know. I met her at the front door, showed her what I had to do, and I had to leave to go see Jim at the nursing center. So I met her on the deck and left. Then I got a phone call from my neighbor. My neighbor, one of the other awesome people in my life right now, who during all of these seven weeks that I was gone, would come down and get our dog and take him over to their house. Um, She saw that the car was gone. She saw the car come. She saw the car leave. So she came down to get Lucy, and she saw that the front door was still unlocked. So she locked the front door, got Lucy, and left. And then about a half an hour later, our neighbor across the street showed up at her front, at my neighbor's front door and said, do you know who belongs to that car that's in the driveway? And Diane said, uh, yeah, uh... Well, and Dennis goes, well, there's some woman that just got out of the car and climbed over the fence. <laughs> and it turned out that she had left and didn't have a key to my house, so she'd left the front door unlocked. She had left to go buy plants because she wanted to bless me even more with fixing up the planters on my deck. So... I, I talked to her, and she was totally fine with it. She said, "My grandmother taught me how to be how to be a tomboy, and I just climbed the fence." <laughs> I do have to add that there have been other friends, and especially from other churches that we've been involved with, that have done a lot to help. They've um, given gift cards. They've uh, so one couple actually paid to have our lawn fixed mowed and cleaned up right after Jim got diagnosed with cancer. So I'm using all this, too, to explain when people say, what can we do? There's all, things, all kinds of things that you can just do without even having to know what they need. Gift cards, meals, lawn care. There's all kinds of things that you just do. Lastly, to give... These women in this group that I'm involved with in this church are amazing. And they heard... That picture up there is my daughter and her six kids and my son and his three kids they heard that my daughter was flying in from Tennessee and they knew I was totally stressed with having to spend all day at the hospital or the nursing home and they arranged to go to Costco and brought over food to feed my family for a week so uh, what a blessing that these women have been, and I'm not going to single them out, but they know who they are. They're a true example of giving of themselves. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Oops. You can take me. That's all right. <laughs> Thank you, mother, so much, Um, and thank you for those who have served. And uh, Joan Lankow, if you are watching, you are uh, amazing. I will call you out. You are absolutely amazing. Um, Everyone probably assumed, Uh, but uh, thank you, mother, for sharing. um, It is uh, it it is hard for me, obviously, uh, not having my father here with us. Is uh, it's my mother-in-law, but they're incredible parents, and I'm so blessed as a son to be able to have them. uh, my father as well is such an incredible minister, and counselor, and, and lover of people. And together, they're one of the greatest marriage cu- cu- counseling couples I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I am still hoping that there is a, a future where that can continue. But uh, thank you for those who have supported us and supported them. And then we're just sharing um, this week. You know, we're talking about serving one another, and uh, what a great example of that that was of, of people who are stepping in and in so many practical, practical ways. And so we talk about serving one another. I want to start off in in the most obvious of places, and that is, let's talk about the end of the world. Um, The return of Jesus, right? The most natural place to start in talking about serving one another, right? Because when you talk about, um, many of us know that Jesus is coming back at some point. You're like, how is that connected? Well, we're getting there. But Jesus is coming back. The end of the world is near, or as we know it, there's a great song about that, uh, that things are changing. And so, even when we talk about the idea of the end is near and, and, and Jesus is returning, many people start getting a little strange and weird in that place. So, maybe if you've grown up and you've been uh, weaned on Hal Lindsey and Left Behind series and maybe Thief in the Night or some other of these experiences, you, you either are like, woohoo, Rapture, uh, or maybe you're on the other end of the, pick of the spectrum and you're like, I grew up on that stuff and I hate that. And it's like already you're starting to move towards the exit because you're like, I don't want to talk about this stuff, this stuff's weird, let's forget about this stuff. Because the reality is, uh, the Bible talks a lot about the return of Christ. In fact, Jesus, it's, uh, I think he, about 20% of the time, it's the, kind of the topic he's talking about is, is going to be the, his return and, and how that's all going to work out, and the end of the world is something, or the end of, of this world as we know it, is something that Scripture is not shy about, regardless of how we may feel, or regardless about the fears, the insecurities that we may have as a people. Because the truth is, every single generation of Christians from the time of Christ till right now has believed that Jesus Christ is coming back in their lifetime. That's not a new thing. That's not something that's just recent. Every one of the apostles, especially the apostle Paul and Peter and John and the author of Hebrews, all wrote about the fact that they expect completely that Jesus will return in their lifetime. And it's not because they have bad theology and they read the Bible wrong and they listened to Jesus wrong. It's because they have really good theology and they actually listened to Jesus. Because Jesus made it abundantly clear that he's coming back very soon. He was absolutely clear, and he expected his disciples to live in such a way that he was, they were preparing for his return. He wanted them to have that sense of urgency, and so every generation since then has had that urgency. We are not unique about people that feel that way. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, back in 1528... He was uh, doing his translation of the Bible. I mean, one of the greatest saints of, 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 of the modern era uh, in, in, in translation. And as he got to the Old Testament, he was so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon that he said, I, I'm going to start with my Old Testament translation with the book of Daniel because I don't think I'll have time to even finish my translation before Christ comes back. So he started translating Daniel first when he got to the Old Testament so that by at least that part of prophecy would be done in case Jesus were to return. And so, when, but yet today, when, when we think about the return of Christ, or people start talking about that, many Christians kind of roll their eyes, they get uncomfortable, they, they get a bit leery because we've kind of swung the pendulum a bit far. And now, oftentimes, when we talk about that, if you talk about someone saying, the end is near, people think of that crazy guy. They think of maybe the guys when you go down to the Seahawks Stadium, you get people these big giant signboards that say, the end is near, repent on bullhorns, and walking up and down the street. There was a great uh, episode of The Simpsons uh, a, a number of years ago where Homer was, was figuring out the rapture in the end of times. And he's wearing this signboard and ringing a bell saying, The end of the world is near. Jesus loves you. He's going to kill you, right? And, uh, and he's, go, he's freaking out about all this stuff and he's calculating the end of days. He's got a little signboard out and he's like, Okay, to figure out what it is, you, you figure out the number of verses in Revelation. You add in the amount of people at the Last Supper. And then he goes, and then you subtract the number of Filipinos mentioned in the Bible, which is a big zero, right? And he's just, it's a joke, he's trying to figure it out and he looks crazy. And that's kind of the mentality that many people have about when you talk about the end is near. It's this it's crazy people, or, or crazy ideas of trying to calculate out how all this stuff works. And, and But the, the amazing thing is, in the midst of this touchy subject, in 1 Peter chapter 4, which is where we're going today, look at what Peter has to say. Starting in verse 7, he says this, The end of all things is at hand. And, and, and then he's going he's to talk about it, he's going to go on to say, Therefore freak out! He's going to say, get out your signboards and your bells and start telling the world. Go and scare the children of the street. Go and tell everyone that the world is ending and everything's over. Go put your pets to sleep. Go uh, buy as many books as you can and give them to all your friends that everything's over. Do everything you can. Freak out because the end of the world is coming. Freak out, people. That's what he's going to tell them to do next. Terrify your neighbors. Sell everything your own. Or, maybe he actually finishes and says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers not go crazy not go nuts but be sober-minded and have self-control be a non-anxious presence and to me this is incredible because just before this passage Peter was just saying that people need to get ready because Jesus is coming back and they're going to face judgment for their sins that's what he was just saying that get ready that there is a reckoning happening and you need to get ready because Christ is coming back And and now he's going to say this, he's going to say, now the end is near, get ready for this by being sober-minded and and being of of, of sound judgment. I love what Tim Keller says about this. Tim Keller, when he's talking about this pastor, he says, where the world would say, if you live as if the end is near, you're crazy, right? You're, you're, You're holding a signboard, you're ringing a bell, you're like Homer Simpson. He says, but what this text is saying by 1 Peter is if you don't live as if the end is near, you're the crazy one. Right? Because it's only if you see that the end is near can you actually be sane. So how could that be? It's pretty simple. He goes, what it's really saying is that if there really is a God, if there really are moral absolutes, if that's really true, there's going to be a reckoning coming. And if there's going to be a reckoning that's coming upon all people, if that really is, then to live like there won't be, That's crazy. To live like God isn't real is actually crazy. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, if truth is objective, he's assuming it is, if we live in a world we did not create and cannot change merely by thinking, right? If we are subject to this world that we do not control it, if the world is not really a dream of our own saying that we can do whatever we want, he goes on to say, then the most destructive belief we could possibly believe would be the denial of this primary fact. The most destructive belief would be to say that we deny the fact that there are moral absolutes and that God is real. In other words, if there are moral absolutes and we don't care to discover what they are, it'd be like closing your eyes while driving. Right? That's crazy. So the truly sane person, the most grounded person of all, lives like Jesus could come back at any time. And, and oftentimes a knee-jerk reaction that happens these days, especially for those that grew up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, that maybe were overexposed to the hype and the, and the fear-based teachings that often happened during those times, is that we move towards apathy, towards the return of Christ, and towards final judgment and all the rest of it. We lose all urgency. And yet so much of what the Bible says is about this end. We are supposed to have this urgency, and so many times we've swung the pendulum to the other way do we have an urgency for the return of Christ as a body of Christ? And my experience is most of the American church does not have that urgency. Our urgency is for connecting, getting more of what I need for me and my family here and now. Right? Getting everything I can, fighting for my rights here and now, this side of eternity. Fighting for my comfort and my safety and what my family needs. Instead of the eternal realities that Christ speaks of much of evangelical christianity across the world especially here in america is far more focused on consumerism and their consumers of what do i get out of this and everything's about me and my family and my comfort and what's going to happen to me but that's not the message of peter and it's not the message of john and here it's absolutely not his message he's saying the end is at hand therefore what should they be doing they should have sober minds and sound judgment as they pray because prayer is central but then go to the verse eight he says this above all else Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So if the end is near, if the end is really coming, and he's saying there's urgency that Jesus is coming back, what should they do most of all, the most important thing to do in getting ready for the return of Christ? What is it? Love one, excuse me, Love one another earnestly. Another way to translate earnestly is intensely. Love one another intensely. That's the most important thing of all. When faced with certain death, for many of them because of what's going on, when faced with the knowing that Christ is going to return and everything's going to be over soon, what is the most important thing for them to do? Love one another with intensity, with earnestness. Now, what's incredible about this is when when you look at the background of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter, most all scholars agree, was written right towards the end of Peter's life which means at this time frame, it's a crazy time in the history of the church. And again, most all scholars agree that's when it happened. It's just before Peter is crucified upside down for his faith. And during this time, the persecution is growing and it is intense in the Roman Empire, specifically because Nero has blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome. And so a massive persecution rises up against the church. Massive numbers of Christians are dying, and not just dying, but dying horrifically. Emperor Nero, who went crazy by this point, was finding ways to torture Christians, and finding new ways of wrapping up in animal skins, and feeding them to animals, and one of the things they even used to do, that multiple stories of him dipping Christians in wax when they were alive, and, and then lighting them on fire to light his dinner parties while the Christians were screaming, they would use the light of burning Christians to be the light for their fire, for their dinner parties. I mean, this is insanity, and this is what the church was hearing, and they knew this was coming, and not coming, it was upon them, and Christians. We're dying. And this is what Peter is saying Jesus is coming back. They're like, please come back soon. And they're dying. Their friends are dying. The government is literally trying to wipe them out and murder them all. And what is Peter's response? The end is near. With all of that going on, what is the most important thing? He says, above all else, what is that? Above all else, what are you supposed to do when the world is ending, when Jesus is coming back, when you're being tortured, your family's being killed? What are you supposed to do, most importantly of all? Love one another intensely. Above all else, love one another intensely. And why? Why? He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I, I love this. Love covers a multitude of sins because what do you think people start to do when they feel persecuted and, they, and, and the government starts coming and, and there's all this pressure that they're in of seeing people die and wondering and they're in hiding and running around back and forth. What tends to happen? Well, they get a little selfish probably. They probably get easily triggered. They probably begin to distrust people and what's going on. And so Paul's saying, love covers a multitude of sins, so love one another intensely. You know, we just had a nice little test case of this, a little drill of this recently here in America. Right? Just a a small version of it, of the last couple years, of what would happen if people felt their rights being taken, what would happen if people felt some persecution, whatever they want to call it. And how did we pass the test as as a body of Christ across the country? We failed pretty miserably. Because instead of actually turning towards loving one another intensely, we actually moved into us versus them.s We did exactly what we're not supposed to do. We moved even within the church, we moved into the us Christians and the them Christians. Even in this area, people began to split up amongst the churches that are this way or that way, and, and people finding their own tribes in different ways. And, and people began labeling people and getting triggered by the smallest of things and saying, oh, you're anti-science, or you're this, or, or you're, uh, you're, you're one of them justice people, or you're one of those people, or you're one of those people. And, and they just began dividing the church even. Over a little bit of a thing called COVID that came in, our own little taste of, of a, just a small thing that disrupted life to some degree, and we fell apart. Not just us Northview, across the country. People quickly assumed the worst in one another. We failed the test miserably. It was a good drill to recognize what happens at our heart. What happens when we're tested? We hoard toilet paper, right? That's what we do. And Peter knows that people get tested. He knows they can get selfish. He, he knows, and so he says, above all else, love one another. And why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. If we intensely love one another, we will not be triggered and defensive in those situations. We'll be able to forgive those basic uh, offenses that people put upon us. I let Dr. Kent Hughes, he uses this analogy. That love. He says, love takes the oxygen out of sin. And he says, the way a blanket chokes the air out of a fire someone's on per, of someone that's, that's caught on fire. So think of someone that's got a fire, and you grab one of those fire blankets, and you put on them, and what happens? The fire goes out. Not because of the blanket, it's because it sucks the oxygen away from the fire. And so just like when there's a blaze that happens, you pull the oxygen out, and the fire instantly goes out. Why? Because it needs oxygen to go, and that's what he describes. Love does that, and that's what Peter is talking about here, that when we love people in the midst of tension, we suck the oxygen out of it. We suck the sin out of that ability for it to hurt, and so the small offenses just go away. When you're angry or divided with someone or disunity, if you're able to intensely love them, you know what happens? The anger, the division, it's, it's hard to hold on to it because it goes away. You assume the best of them instead of assuming the worst. So he says, intensely love one another. The more difficult it gets, the more crazy it gets, we must press into loving one another even more instead of what is our natural response and what we saw so clearly on display the last couple of years where we move towards selfishness. And then he goes on in, in verse 9, he says this. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So in the midst of persecution, they're to love one another intensely. They're to be praying, and now he says, "Love one another, or sorry, show hospitality to one another without grumbling." They're going to see how they have to. They're being told to, to, to increase the way they show love and care to one another, and to do it, excuse me, with hearts that are full of love and service, not with grumbling, not out of compulsion, but out of love and service. I'll be honest on this again. I mean, um, I've spent most of my adult life since 17 living overseas in Africa and Asia where hospitality is just a value uh, and definitely a biblical value of the churches. And it's, it, sometimes it's shocking to be in America and recognize that's not necessarily at least a Northwestern American value of hospitality the same way. And it's something even the American church, even across the country, is definitely not really recognized the biblical value that's here. Our values are often moving much towards taking care of me and mine and my house and being quite independent it's fascinating because in America, the homes of Americans, I was just looking this up the other day, have almost doubled in size since the age of time of our grandparents. Family size have almost been cut in half. So we have twice the space for half the people. And so our homes then become refuge of solitude and to fill with stuff. In fact, when our, you know, last, last week I mentioned Emmanuel Muhammad, the guy that gave the testimony. When he was here in America, I asked him, what's your biggest observation? He goes, why do Americans have so much stuff? He says, "I. but these people, they have three car garages. He was in Boston. They have so much stuff. And I go in, I go, oh, how many cars do you have? There's no cars. The cars are all parked in the driveway because it's three car garages filled with stuff. And then they have a storage unit, he says, for more stuff. He's like, I don't understand why you need so much stuff. Um, and that was his first observation of America, uh, the most peculiar one. But we have this thing where we, we, we see our houses as a refuge instead of recognizing that these places are actually supposed to be homes to bless people with. Not just our home, but hospitality, he's saying, is a central core call of the body of Christ to invite people into our homes and to welcome people and let people stay with us and to eat with us and and, and create room in our schedules for them. Our homes are not meant just to be refugees away from the world, but are actually to invite people into our homes. And and so we must, as Christians, be showing hospitality he's showing here. We we must be inviting people into our homes. It's something that's not really an option. It's something we, we have to be able to do it. And maybe that's, maybe people get freaked out about that, but whether it be a, a fancy meal or just something simple, like grab a, our favorite thing to do as a family, we invite a lot of people over for meals, Is a Costco rotisserie chicken and a thing of rolls from Costco, boom, we got a meal for a bunch of people, like it's simple, it doesn't have to be complex or strange. But for the early church, hospitality was a central part of their faith, central part of their lives was inviting people in, because there were traveling teachers, there was the poor, there was the, so many people And large meals were always being shared together around communion, And when you travel through Africa and Asia today, you see that hospitality is just the core. I mean, I've traveled all over, and I can't count the number of homes I've had the privilege of staying in. But as I was thinking through this, the one that was was more more humorous was I I was in Zambia a while back, and uh, I was teaching at this church, and they invited me and my team to come stay with them at this family. I didn't know them. Um, they invited us to stay with them and I I, I realized it was a small house uh, with the family and their kids And so I said i'd sleep on the floor and they said no because I had a thermarest. They said no no you must sleep in the bed So they gave me their son's room and their 14 year old son And it was this mattress that had like no springs left in it So you just kind of fall in the center and it wasn't comfortable this old mattress on this thing It just wasn't nice, but I was grateful for their hospitality. It was a very poor family giving me the best they had And so I remember sleeping there and I was, I was laying going to bed and drifting off to sleep I'm, wondering, I'm, like wonder what where their son's staying if i'm staying here and all of a sudden, the door opens, and their four-year-old son gets in bed next to me, and uh, and I'm like, oh, uh, apparently, and it's it's broken, so we are we are right next to each other, and I'm like, okay, I would definitely prefer the floor right now. Uh, this is not a comfortable bed; it just got a whole lot less comfortable. Uh, but this is wonderful hospitality. And uh, as I was drifting off to sleep, he literally put his arm around me and cuddled me through the night, and that whole week, I got to just to stay there, just just trying to not move, and just like I feel awkward, but thank you, Lord, for hospitality. And I also read the story of, I don't know if you heard of Stanley Jones is one of the, the famous missionaries. He died about 50 years ago. And he tells the story of, of how he was uh, invited to stay at the home of a family uh, that had uh, that invited him to come stay with them. And he, as he got there, he was surprised. It was just a one-room house with one room, and there was one single twin bed in the room. And uh, he's like, okay, I don't know what's going on. And it was time for bed at the end of the meal. And they said, okay, your turn. And so he got in the bed, and then the husband got in next to him, and his wife got in bed right next to him. And he's like, okay, I guess that's the way it's worked. Thank you for hospitality. And Stanley said this. He said, um, I've slept in palaces, but the hospitality of that one-bed home was the most memorable and the most appreciative of any bed I've ever stayed in. And I, I just love that. Now, I'm not saying we need to do that. Um, that, that can get a little weird. Um, but we, we must have an urgency to practice Jesus-centered hospitality, right? To, to be willing to inconvenience ourselves sacrificially to love others and to care for others. And the crazy thing about this is who he's specifically talking about isn't even the people outside the church, who Peter is talking about specifically as one another, those within the church. It isn't even necessarily evangelistic in in its foundation. It's actually saying we need to let one another and care for one another within the family of faith. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. We should serve everyone. That means all people. But, he says, especially to those who are in the family of faith. First and foremost, we must be caring for one another. We need to be inviting people into our homes, caring for people. Thank you for those who showed so much hospitality to my family. When we arrived, I mean, we, we arrived in America, arrived in Seattle to this we thought it was be an empty home and throw, I was gonna stop at Walmart on the way over and, and buy a, a, an air mattress to have something to sleep on. And we arrived to a house that was fully furnished. Rooms that were just filled with toys for our kids. I mean, we were just in tears for weeks. Every plates, combinations, and silverware. and you, there was, it, Our house was filled with stuff of people that gave. One person even drove down out to oregon to pick up an old bed bunk or a bunk bed a beautiful bunk bed for us and drove it all the way back up just to give it to us i mean it was just amazing the hospitality. this place has been incredible but we must continue to show hospitality to one another and then peter keeps going so he's telling them jesus is coming back so there's an urgency jesus is coming back so don't freak out but pray be sober minded love one another well invite people into your homes and then he says this in verse 10 he says as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as God's stewards, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So he says, take the gifts that you've received from God, use them to serve one another. And he says, we must be good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, there's so much we can unpack here, but in brief, he's saying, so everyone has received these gifts from God. That's what he's saying here in this passage. And then he describes the gifts. He says, they are God's varied grace. So the gifts that we receive from God are God's grace to us in various different kinds and forms. And that means there's different kinds of gifts given to different people. People don't have the same ones. But, and, and so what are we supposed to do with these gifts that God gives us? What does it say right there in the passage? We are to serve one another. We're to take the grace that God has given us by His Spirit and serve one another. God has gifted each of us for the express purpose of serving one another. That's what the gifts are for. And you'll find endless examples of Scripture, of, peop- in scripture of people using those gifts, whether it be for what we've just seen, of, of, of showing hospitality and caring for the poor, caring for the broken, providing meals. There's many stories of people showing uh, serving one another through the gifts of financial gifts, of caring for the poor and the broken, helping those who are hurting, and supporting the apostles. There's the gifts of, of, of uh, of supporting people, of cleaning, of washing feet, of listening to people. I and mean, he goes on and on and on and on and on, the examples in Scripture of people using those gifts to serve one another. And the important piece here is, as Christians, we are called to take the gifts that God has given us, those Spirit-empowered talents and abilities that He's given us, and serve one another. Right? We are called to do that. This is the utmost importance to Peter as we look at Jesus' return with urgency. What should we do? How do we get ready? We love one another and we serve one another. You know, and sharing on this topic, I honestly feel a bit of a tension sharing this here at Northview because I spent my whole ministry life, 25 years, working overseas as a missionary and training missionaries for most of my life. Um, And missionaries are known as rather selfless people who are pretty good servants. they kind of given up their lives for that. But I want to be honest, I've been blown away by the servanthood that I've seen here in Northview in these couple years that I've been here. I mean, Pastor Steve obviously set an incredible example, uh, uh, discipled so many so beautifully, and the heart of this church has honestly been incredible. And I'm amazed by the number of people who serve unseen that most people don't even know of. I mean, it took me a while. I think I was here six months before I finally met some of our ninjas in our midst. And I would be annoyed if I gave his name out, but he knows who he is, Um, One specific one. But people, I mean, one guy even calls himself the church ninja because he just wants to serve and never be seen. Um, and, And that's the heart of so many that are here in that way. That people take time out of their week to come and bless and give of their time to clean the church and do so many other things that are never seen. It just blown me away. And I was so amazed by some of the stuff that Steve used to do and just selflessly serving again and again, often so much manual labor stuff and just exhausting himself. And he always called it, I'm serving the Jesus account. The part that no one gets to see, it's just between me and Jesus. And he's away at a wedding this week, so I can sit, talk about him. Um, and, uh, but I remember last year, there was a time when uh, it was right when, when VBS got canceled um, and there, we had, this whole place was set up, and there was endless stuff outside. And Steve came to me in the morning the next day, and he says, "James, would you want to help me go clean all this stuff up?" I'm like, "Yeah, us and what crew?" And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. It's just gonna be the two of us." And, I, and I'm like, um, there's, "We need a crew for that. There's all these mats. There's so much. This is hours of work. It's blazing hot." And I'm like, "Can we call some people?" He's like, "No, no. We got it." And he remembered telling me, "I'd love to get the hard work done in secret before anyone even sees it or knows it happened. It's just between us and Jesus. So let's go do it." I'm like, "Okay. I'm not going to get outworked by a 66-year-old." Um, and so. <laughs> as we go out there, we see all the work. And he says, it's just going to take a few minutes. Well, a few minutes turned into a few hours in the blazing sun, lifting his mats and these mats. And it, it, was, it was hot out there. It was just a beautiful opportunity to serve. But that's the culture that's been here is just serve and you give and you keep giving. And it's no surprise that this is what the community has represented in so many ways as we've been here with so many people that step in. I mean, going back to the days of Archbishop Murphy, of people jumping in and setting up the whole church every week, wherever and whenever there's been a need, people jump in. And it's, it's I can't tell you what, what a gift it is as a pastor to step into a community of people that are so willing and, and able to serve in that way. And whether it be providing food or, or working in the nursery or working in elementary or, or, or cleaning the building or setting up communion or helping with stages. I mean, it's just everything. Or, or especially serving financially. This church, one of its greatest gifts has always been the, to serve financially, to step in and meet whatever need is there. Any new need that comes, any need that's there, any shortfall that happens, the church has always stepped in and, and sacrificially given, not only given, but given above and beyond. We've always been able to meet every meet, take care of the staff, bless so many people in the missions, reach so many people, and and I I can't express how grateful I am as a pastor to get to step into this place with this kind of a body. And I want to say that the last two years, though, our church has also changed quite a bit. And It used to be that everyone knew everyone, and every person that was here, every man in this building had gone through personally with Steve on a discipleship and gone through the Father Heart of God and maybe gone through some other books with him. Now there's so many new faces here that a lot of people don't get the chance to get to know each other. And so now we have to be even more intentional of setting those cultures and setting those things because it is a gift to be able to step into this culture of service and pursuing one another. But it's also going to be a challenge when we step into this next season of falling out that calling of genuinely serving one another. Because it's not a secondary calling. I mean, Paul, Peter considers it one of the most important things when a church that's facing death is we need to love one another and serve one another. To be on the lookout for those who are hurting. For those who are... uh, who have needs you know i, I just had the privilege uh, just this week a couple days ago of one of our single mothers who's uh that should be that their their, their their car wouldn't start and so i was able to run over there and get a jump start found out it wasn't working we got them to, over to, a, to a, a auto shop we got a, we were able to buy a new battery get the car running and put it on the way and realize i mean just what a gift that was to be able to serve in a way that someone who couldn't actually do work couldn't be able to get around is, is able to get I me mean, service is one of the greatest joys and gifts we have as a body of christ and we don't just do it because Peter tells us to. We do it because this is who Jesus calls us to be. Right? We serve because this is who Jesus was. When Jesus was about to be crucified, he brought all of his disciples together for a final meal. And as he gathered them for the meal, he told them that, uh, that he, he wants to wash their feet. He does this insane thing. He takes almost all his clothes off. He gets almost naked like a slave, and he begins to go around washing their, their mangled, dirty, disgusting, grimy feet. The rabbi, almost naked, washing the feet of these people in that culture. That was the most humiliating thing he could have done. But then, as, after he uses this gift of sacrificial love, he says this in John chapter 13. or uh, He says, verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 15, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So Jesus tells them, I have done this, And what I've done for you is not just for you to be blessed. I've done this because this is how I want you to live. He says specifically, I am serving you so that you will follow my example. This is how we live as followers of Christ. We serve one another. And in that culture, part of serving was washing feet. So that's what he did. And he repeats repeats himself, I've given you this as an example to follow. Not just foot washing, but serving sacrificially the people around him. He says, "'Do again as I have done to you. You will be blessed if you do these things.'" He makes it abundantly clear that we must follow his example of sacrificially serving others. We must take our time and our resources and serve one another. He says it succinctly in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, right after the disciples have been arguing about who's better and who's greater, he says this, "'Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave.'" For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is not a suggestion from Jesus. He's saying, this is what it is. To be a follower of Christ is we're servants. We serve. It's what we do. We care for each other. We jump in. That's what we do as servants of God. It's not a suggestion. It's central to following Christ. And when it comes to the most important things to do, when there's the urgency, the greatest of urgency for the body of Christ, these are the things that Paul says: love one another, pray, hospitality, and serve one another. That's the things that Paul lands on, or sorry, Peter lands on with urgency. And so there's so many ways we can apply this. So many different ways it affects all of life. But as we're in the series called of, of We Are the Body, talking about Northfield, I want to kind of zero in again, kind of like I did last week, and talk about, specifically about our context here. You know, Paul told the church in Ephesus. That the role of the pastors and the teachers and the others, uh, leaders, he says, their role in verse 12 of, of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, is to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. That's the job of, 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 of the leadership, he says, is to, to serve, the people would serve one another to build up the body. That's the role of, of us as a body, is we are to serve one another. But why? Because that's what builds up the body, is as we serve one another. So it's not up to just professional ministers or or, or staff or whatever it is, or paid staff. It's, It's upon all of us to serve one another. That's what we are to do as a body, to build the body up. We are not called as Christians to be consumers of Christianity or consumers of church or consumers of a body. We are called to serve, to serve one another, not just consume. And the problem is COVID did a massive number on the church across America on this one, that so much of the church, it moved us to a season of just consumers, of watching online, and it's not just here. It's, it's all across the country. It's, as it reads, stuff, it's constantly happening. as that tendency, whereas for months, many people just became consumers of watching from a distance. Even as people went back in person, they, they struggled to kind of jump back in. And every church across the country is facing that, where there's a struggle to get people back out of that consumer model of just coming to what can I get out of this to actually re-engaging in the same way. And we're lo- so grateful for so many here that have jumped in and served. But it's something that we need to be aware of, that we are not called to be consumers. We are called to serve, to jump in, to seek the Lord, and to seek the good of one another. We need to serve the body. And so there's four specific areas I want to highlight today of service that, I, that most of us are, are, are walking, but I just want to highlight them that as, as, as the areas that, that for people that are part of a body of Christ, that we are the body. These are the areas we want to be engaging in and serving in and, and, and caring for one another. And, and so the first one is just the most obvious, and that's serve another by loving and pursuing one another, right? This is what we talked about last week. In fact, last week I gave that challenge that I hope everyone here picks up. If you weren't there, please listen to the message, but I'll just repeat it again. The challenge of last week was every one of us who's a part of the body of Christ must every week we should consider how do i bless someone else how do i pursue someone and choose to go love someone else if every week we every one of us every week choose to go love on someone who's someone that we don't normally know especially the single or the hurting we will cover everyone in this body and people will experience the love of christ tangibly in our midst but we all must do it we can't just wait for those who are we think are the gifted ones in that right don't, jesus was not gifted at foot washing right that wasn't his spiritual gift was foot washing right he was his his calling was to sacrificially love we are all called to love and so if each of us could pursue someone each week pursue one person we would cover everyone and so we need to actively pursue one another we'd we also love one another by, by showing hospitality in that place inviting people if if you're not used to doing it invite someone in your home i mean sarah and i we're kind of weird but we 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 love having people over a couple times a week to be able to to show hospitality we've been doing it for years and this past year we host i don't know like over 100 meals in our home and, and and we love doing that i know we're weird about that but as we meet with people most people we meet with say they've not hosted anyone in years or maybe just one or two it's it's so sad the how few people invite people into their homes and I, I get that we're on the extreme end of that, but we have to make space for others. And don't make it up to special, just do a simple thing, but get people into our homes, invite them, bless them in some way, take them out to coffee, get them out of the building though in some way, and show hospitality and invite people. We also can show love by, by being an active listener, by just listening to people and loving one another, not just telling them the way that Christians are really good at talking, but just listening. Listening. In fact, this next year, we're going to start up a, a ministry called Stephen's Ministry here at the church that if you're part of North Shore, you, you might have heard of it before, where we're just going to try and get formal training to as many people as we can on active steps, on, on active listening, on making sure you don't get involved in toxic relationships and, disin, uh, and, um, uh, and, and becoming uh, just enmeshed with people in some ways. So we're going to be doing some training like that in, the next years, in, the, in this next year of trying as many people kind of formally trained in a process of being active listeners and coaches and mentors for others. So we need to be loving and pursuing one another. Number two, we need to serve by joining or leading a small group. Now I say this, you say, how is it serving by joining? Because in small groups is the primary context where you see the most needs. It's only by joining, journeying with people side by side in a smaller context where most of the needs are made. I mean, almost every prayer request we get, almost every need that we become made aware of as a church is because of someone that's part of a small group. If you're feeling isolated and alone and you're not part of a small group, there's a reason. Because you are isolated and alone. You're not, people aren't journeying with you. And so you need to be part of a small group. It's not a requirement, but I would encourage it because that's where we don't only just get cared for, but that's where you hear about the needs of others, that you're able to pour into others and care for people. My mom is, I'm just so grateful for my mom's small group that she's a part of and those that pour into her and for our group that's been able to care for us, and we can care for others. And if you're one of those people that's saying, yeah, but small groups, I mean, it's not really challenging. We've done it before. It kind of got old. It doesn't doesn't go as deep as we want it, and maybe you don't get challenged. You don't hear the new stuff you want to hear all the time. And In that case, I get it. I mean, I've I've studied the Bible a little little more than the average person, and it's rare that I go to a small group or even a church service, and hear something I've never heard before. But if you're in that place, you're like, man, I just want more. Well, then lead a small group, Come talk to us and take the next step and lead. Well, we actually need more leaders. We're going to talk about that next week because we talk about connecting with one another. But we should be part of a small group because that's where we become aware and journey with people and, and care for each other. Number three, we, we can serve by volunteering. I understand there are seasons in life where we don't have the capacity for anything more than where we're at. With young kids, with work, with overtime, with just emotional trauma, we don't have the capacity for it. But, but as members of a body... Again, we, we should not be only consumers. We should engage as well. And I just want to challenge you. If you're, if you're not engaging in some way and you have some excess, excess capacity, we don't want to steal away from family times, but please look for ways to plug in and serve. And the number one place to serve in a body of this size is going to be serving the next generation whether it be the nursery or the elementary kids or, or the, the junior high or high school, to pour into the next generation of kids that desperately are in need of, of multi-generational discipleship. Desperately in need for it. That's a, the greatest concern of me of this church is the next generation of seeing them disciple well and breaking those statistics that say that two-thirds of everyone that graduates high school that knows Christ walks away. And we want to destroy that statistic within this community. But, so we need people that are willing to serve. And, and there are some pretty strict requirements, though, to serve in that capacity. And that is the minimum requirement is at one point you had to be a kid yourself. Right? So if you can meet that requirement, then the, 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 the doors are open for you to serve within that body. And if maybe it feels like too much energy if you're too old, if you're feeling you're too old to do it. Well, then serve by helping our young families, by holding babies in the nursery or something. But, but come and serve in some way. And, um, I can't think of any better place to serve than to care for our next generation. Um, or, or serve by, by helping out with our sign-in desk for kids, or join our greet team to welcome people, or praying for people, or join our, our media team, or a worship team, if you can hold a tune, or play an instrument, or uh, join the, the custodial team, or, or join the media, I mean, whatever it is, there's places to plug in if you're, if you're looking for a place to want to be able to give. And, and lastly, number four, a place to serve, is serve by giving financially. Um, and this is, I don't want to be awkward, oftentimes people can feel weird about money, but this has been one of Northview's greatest strengths over the years. I mean, Northview, every time there's been a shortfall, it's been covered, um, and I'm amazed by the stories uh, that has been shared over the years of the faithfulness of people really just listening to God on this one. Um, and, but it's also something that people can kind of get weird and not want to talk about and start feeling weird, and maybe some people are like, I'm heading for the doors, they're talking about money, but the reality is Scripture talks about money more than 2,000 times in Scripture. 25% of all Jesus' parables were about money, and so if we can't talk about it, it means we have to avoid a good chunk of the Bible. Um... And I recognize we all have baggage in this area, but I I do want to be honest as we address it. And that's with so many families that have moved out of state in this last season and a bunch of families retiring. The the impact that is starting to be felt here as a church. Um, The financial realities are are, are kind of catching up to us. And um, if you receive our e-news, and if you don't, please sign up. You go to our website, just envy.org forward slash connect. You'll see at the bottom, we always include our financial updates, and we're as transparent as we can be. And you'll see it's, it's, uh, we're currently hitting the $94,000 mark right about there as far as being behind for this year. Um, and and that's, 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 that's no small amount, but we've seen it happen before in Northview and it's been covered. We're, we're averaging each week about $5,000 below the budget as far as giving on a weekly basis. Um, and I love what Steve has to say in the way he's led. He said, if everyone just gives what God tells them to give, we have more than enough. So it's not a problem. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and this season... Um, with, with, with people stepping out, and it's, it has made some more challenges. What's exciting, though, is that we're growing. We're actually growing, and we're larger than we were last year at this point. We have more new people coming every single week. There's new faces coming here. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing lots of baptisms. I mean, there's momentum building, and God's doing a lot of cool stuff. But in the midst of that, we do need to see God provide and move in hearts to cover, the, to cover the, 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 the loss that's there. We're not a pushy church. We're never going to guilt people to give. We're never going to promise people fancy stuff if they give. That's not the way we operate here. People give out of a lifestyle of generosity. So we just want to remind us of that. And, and there's a lot of new people, and so just I want to give to like, us a couple minutes just briefly on what the tithe is for those that, that, that maybe haven't had any teaching on that. and The tithe or the giving of the church, the idea of it actually just comes back from the garden. It's a biblical practice going all the way back to the garden, where Adam and Eve were, 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 were giving a portion of, of what they had to God as, as a sacrifice to Him. And it continued all throughout the Old Testament where, God, where people were giving a portion of what they gathered back to God. You get Abraham and Jacob eventually that give ten percent as a way, and that kind of establishes that ten percent numbers with Abraham and Jacob way before the law was established. And then when the law comes along, God takes that ten percent number and he kind of codifies, and makes a law and says everyone must give ten percent to to God of their of their of their income. But it actually ends up being twenty four percent once you include all the 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 festivals and all the other stuff. And then, so then we come to the New Testament, Jesus comes and he abolishes the law, he fulfills it. And so many would say, well, therefore the tithe is abolished, we don't need to do that as well. Well, well, yes, the tithe is fulfilled in the law, we're under law to obey a tithe. But the idea is the tithe was simply a codified part of God's heart for us to give back to him a portion of all we give, to show that everything we have is his, and to care for the people of God and care for those that are serving. And so that's really what, what the tithe is, just a way of us to be able to say, Lord, this all belongs to you. And it, it, there's, no, there's no rule about 10% or whatever it may be of a tithe. But in the Old Testament, God does say that to give the full tithe. And he says, it's the only thing you should actually ever test God in. He says, don't test him anything but this one thing. He says, test me, give the full tithe, and I will show that I will provide for you if you give the full tithe when you think you can't. But as New Testament Christians, we, we don't have a number of what that's supposed to be. That 10% is just kind of the baseline that's given the Old Testament. And so that's the baseline that we as a family use, and so it says full tithe, so as a family, I mean, what we do is we, we give our pre-tax, the gross income, we just give it, so we want to be in the full tithe mount, and we give that to the body of Christ, and then we give to missions and other stuff above that, and that's just where we are as a family. As missionaries, we always wanted to try and get closer to 30% as a family of generosity, and we made a non-profit to give as much as we possibly could away, and we almost hit it at one point and before we moved here, um, and expenses changed a little bit, this side, uh, but that, that's really just the heart of it, is just joyfully being able to give back to God the things that he's given for us. And so um, I once heard someone say that I've never met a grumpy, generous person, right? And I've never met a joyful, stingy person, right? And that's true. And so I want to choose joy. And so if this isn't a guilt thing or anything else. To me, this isn't a hard conversation. I hope no one feels that way about talking about it because we need to be able to talk about money. But all that to say, I just want to say thank you for those who are so sacrificially given, it's amazing what God has provided in this last season if things have gotten hard. And so if you've been, if you've been giving sacrificially, thank you so much. If you're someone who calls Northview home and, and isn't giving, I would honestly beg of you to, to ask the Lord and say, is there something that I'm supposed to be doing? If this is home for you, say, Lord, what am I supposed to give? And whatever that number is, be obedient in that and give it to the Lord. Just be obedient and follow God's leading in that. If you're someone who gives every once in a while, then go to him and say, Lord, what is the full tie that you define for my life? Whatever that is. And, and may he challenge you in giving that even if it's a bit of a stretch. All right, that's enough about that. We're going to finish up with the worship team, if you guys can come up. Peter's message here in this book is we must have urgency, because Christ is returning. Whether that's now, whether it's 10,000 years from now, we must live with urgency. And that urgency upon our heart should lead us to do a couple very, very profound things. First and foremost, that urgency is an urgency to love one another. That urgency is an urgency to show hospitality, to care for one another, and to serve one another. That is what should be urgent upon our hearts as we wait for the return of Christ. Are those the things that are urgent upon our hearts right now? Is that what, what burns within our hearts as, as we get up in the morning? Is, Lord, show me, what does it mean to love one another? Is that what's before us, Lord, to love others and to love you? Because that should be burning within our heart with urgency as we are these end times people, as Paul calls them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be your children. And Jesus, that you are returning, not in some weird kind of way that we have to freak out about, but with sound mind and sober judgment, we await your return. But Lord, please, would you stir within us an urgency, Jesus, to catch your vision to serve one another and love one another as primary to what it means to be called a, a member of the body of Christ stir within us a greater passion to obey you, to become like you, Jesus, to experience your joy as we serve one another, Lord, and our time and our resources. Lord, move us towards that, Lord. And even now, if it's, if, it's, if it's volunteering or joining a group, whatever it may be, Lord, speak to us even now as we enter into worship. If it's, if it's moving towards giving, Lord, and tithing, Lord, Lord, stir within us now that passion of urgency, Jesus, to follow you and love one another. Amen.